series. So turn to Philippians chapter 4. Next week, we are beginning on Sunday mornings a new series in the book of Romans. And so I do hope that you will be anticipating uh, our time together in that glorious book. But uh, we come this morning uh, to close out uh, the book of Philippians, such a wonderful book, such an encouraging and joy-filled book. Uh, We turn now to the last uh, major section of it. Uh, We've looked last week at uh, what it teaches us about contentment. Uh, This morning, we are going to to look at what Paul has to teach us about sacrificial giving. So hear God's word, Philippians chapter 4, we'll be reading verse 10 through verse 23. This is God's word, Paul writes. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia... No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray once again and ask him to help us as we study his word. Father God, we thank you that you have spoken to us in your word about money, about our wealth, about our call to give to you a portion of it, to give to those in need. So Lord, we pray that you would help us to think rightly about this very intimate part of our life. Lord, we ask that you would be glorified, that you would Help us, O Lord, as Newell already prayed, to take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ, to have our thoughts modeled and formed and shaped by your word. O Lord, we pray that our lives will be transformed this day through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. There is a a comic strip that I have that I think about somewhat regularly. It's a Baptist preacher. Uh, He is about to baptize a man. In the first two panes of the comic strip, he says, Well, Charles, when I baptize you, everything that goes under belongs to God. And in the last pane, you see the preacher and you see a hand out of the water holding a wallet above the water. (laughs) And that often comes back to me as I think about my own life, as I think about being a pastor of a church. Uh, Obviously, as a Presbyterian, we would uh, disagree of the necessity of having to be submersed under the water uh, as the mode of baptism. But we would agree with the point of that comic that in baptism, 
we are acknowledging that we are not our own, that we have been bought with a price, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. All that we have, all that we are, belongs to him. Now, there is a tendency in our hearts, even as believers, that that comic strip is pointing at, uh, that in this financial area of life, uh, we are sometimes prone to hold that back from the Lord, uh, to say, well, you can have everything except this. And so because of that tendency, many churches uh, have a, a formal stewardship season uh, in the, the calendar year, the life of their church, in which uh, there will be multiple sermons on money and giving and, and stewardship of all things, uh, leading up to normally uh, the giving of pledge cards toward the general budget. Maybe you've been a part of a church uh, like this. I know I have. Uh, but interestingly, I, I've been the senior pastor of three churches, and none of those churches had a formal stewardship season uh, like the one I've described. Now, I can tell you uh, several reasons why I liked that arrangement, that there was no formal stewardship uh, season. But the main one is that I haven't found it necessary to do that. You see, because of, of the churches that I've been a part of, their commitment to me as a preacher preaching Lectio Continua, that is consecutively through books of the Bible and reading through books of the Bible consecutively as we do here on Sunday evenings, then the topic of money and stewardship and giving, it's going to come up in the normal course of reading and preaching through God's word because the Bible is filled with God's instruction about money and wealth and giving and stewardship. It's impossible to preach the whole counsel of God without talking about these things. And so, uh, though we don't have a formal stewardship season here at Pear Orchard, uh, you ought to be and you will hear us regularly speak about these things. And we come to Philippians 4 uh, this, eve this morning because Paul, as he closes out this letter to the Philippians, as we mentioned last week, uh, is wanting to thank them for their gift to him. Uh, but we, though we give regularly, though you're going to hear us teach regularly about money, uh, just because something happens regularly doesn't mean that we understand it as well as we ought. Uh, and so this morning I want us to think about what Paul teaches us about giving. Uh, you see, the act of giving is simple enough on the surface. Uh, money is passing from your hands into the hands of another person or institution. And it's often from that perspective of the recipient of the gift that we think about giving. Uh, how the gift impacts him and how it meets uh, their needs, what he's able to do with this money that we are giving, how his or her life or their life is improved as a result. But if you only think about giving from the perspective of the recipient, uh, then you don't really understand it fully or, or even rightly. In our text this morning, Paul shows us the grace of giving from three different perspectives. Yes, certainly from the, the perspective, the angle of the recipient, but also from the perspective of the giver and from the perspective of God. And so I want us to think about these three angles, these three perspectives this morning. So first, uh, let's look at what Paul teaches us about uh, giving from the perspective of the recipient. It's clear, isn't it? When we give to the church or to a missionary or a ministry or someone in financial distress, we are meeting their needs. Right? Paul 
He's told us here already, we saw last week, that he was content no matter what his circumstances were, and yet he was extremely thankful for their gift. Why? Because it met his needs. You see it there in verse 10 and verse 16, how he rejoices at the fact that the Thessalonians, the Philippians, when he was in Thessalonica, throughout his ministry, in fact, they had sent him help for his needs once and again. He declares in verse 18, I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Paul had needs, and the Philippians met those needs. Uh, you look at it in verse 14. He, he, he speaks of the difficult circumstances in which he was in prison, his trouble, his affliction, and he says that they had shared in his trouble, in his trial. They had given for his needs. So, Yes, giving is the meeting of someone else's needs. But notice here uh, that giving to Paul, in giving to Paul, the Philippians weren't merely meeting the needs of some random person. They were meeting the needs of one with whom they had a tangible and concrete friendship and partnership in the Lord. And their gift was an expression of that friendship. Verses 15 and 16 make that particularly clear. He he speaks of this partnership with him in giving and receiving. Now that language, partnership in giving and receiving, uh, was actually common language in ancient Greece and Rome. It referred to to business transactions as well as to, to friendship relationships where there was mutual reciprocity. Uh, where benefits were shared back and forth. Friends shared with one another. They gave to one another. They received from one another. Uh, Here, this friendship between Paul and the Philippians, based on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, based on their shared relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, They had fellowship and partnership with Paul in the gospel. And his affectionate language throughout this letter demonstrates the great love that he had for them, that they had for him. Uh, What did their friendship consist in? But Paul giving them the gospel and praying for them and encouraging them. And they were supporting Paul financially as they were able. Uh, Again, you see it there in 15. You Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. The Philippians were a faithful partner in Paul's ministry. They were enabling him to commit himself fully to the gospel. You look in Acts 18 or in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul specifically mentions how when when money was received from the Philippians, he was able to stop working as a tent maker and and commit himself fully to to preaching the gospel. And so this this partnership, this fellowship, uh, was the the source out of which they gave to meet the needs of Paul. Now, this is probably how you tend to think about your giving to the church or or to a missionary or even to the poor. Uh, You want to meet a need because of a relationship that you have with that person. You have a a, a partnership with them and you want to meet that need. When you give to Pear Orchard, I hope that part of your motivation is is that you are giving out of a love for the ministry, uh, out of a love for those who minister to you, out of a gratitude for what you have received uh, from those who bring the word of God to you, from the ministries of this congregation. And so you want to, to give generously as a result. And it's right to think about that way. But that's not the only way. 
that we ought to think about giving. Paul also shows us two more aspects, two more perspectives of giving. And the next is from the perspective of the giver. Now, here in this passage, we've just noticed uh, that Paul has said that giving is a meeting of a need. It's, it's a partnership. But, but notice more. Uh, in verse 14, Paul reminds us that giving is actually participating in the need, sharing in the affliction. It was kind of you, he says, to share my trouble, to have fellowship in my affliction. That is, giving is to be sacrificed on our part as we impoverish ourselves, as it were, for the sake of sharing in, participating in the need of the other. When the Philippians gave to Paul, he's saying, they were literally, as it were, participating in his affliction, sharing in his sufferings, his need. They were making his trouble their trouble. They were taking from their resources and they were giving to him. They were impoverishing themselves to some degree. And, and Paul tells us in verse 18, it's a, a sacrifice. And a sacrifice costs you something. And the amazing thing, if you know anything about the Philippian church from 2 Corinthians, they were a poor people. They were not a rich people. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8. He's speaking to the Corinthians and he says, Brethren, we want to make known to you the grace of God that has been given in the churches of Macedonia here in Philippi. In a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. He says they gave according to their ability and beyond their ability of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. You hear again that language of participation in the needs of another. So the Philippians, just like Jesus, who was rich yet became poor for our salvation, so the Philippians, who were already poor, they became poorer. They gave of their will for the sake of their brothers and sisters in Christ. So here's the question. Have you come to realize, as Sinclair Ferguson puts it, that generous giving is not, necessary, not necessarily sacrificial giving? Generous giving is not necessarily sacrificial giving. Jesus teaches us this, doesn't he? And when he speaks of the, the, the poor widow in Luke chapter 21, he saw the rich putting uh, their gifts into the treasury, and then he sees a poor widow who puts two small copper coins and what does he say? He says, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For they all out of their surplus put in the offering, but she out of her poverty put all that she had to live on. Sacrificial giving is the cause, the command. It's, it's what's been modeled for us in the gospel. Just because you give generously, does that mean you give sacrificially? Not necessarily. And so you have to ask yourself, are you giving sacrificially? Does your giving to the Lord and to his people and, and to the needy, does it cost you something? Do you look at your budgets, your human budgets, your personal family budgets, and, and do you say, not boastingly, not pridefully, but just honestly, if we weren't tithing to the church, if we weren't giving to these missionaries, if we weren't giving to the poor, then we would be able to do a whole lot more for ourselves. See, if you can't say that when you look at your budget, then are you giving sacrificially? Now, of course, for some of us, giving a tenth of our income, that's not sacrificial. Right? 
It doesn't make us feel the pinch. Does your giving make you feel the pinch? Now, again, there, sometimes you, you can get to a point where you're making so much that perhaps it's hard to feel the pinch, and, and, and still you can be generous, and you can find ways to sacrifice even if that is your situation. Paul is saying that giving is sacrifice. If you don't feel that sacrifice, if you do not look and say, wow, I really would like to be able to do this, but we can't because we're giving all this money away over here. Right? Then is your giving sacrificial? Are you sharing in the affliction of those whom you support? So here is Paul showing us sacrifice and sacrificial giving from the perspective of the giver. He goes on to, to show another way that, that, that giving is to be viewed from the perspective of the giver when he speaks of this truth that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Do you remember reading that in, in Acts uh, chapter 20, it's words uh, that if you have a red letter Bible, you'll see that those words are in red. But then you go and you look in the Gospels and you're like, where does Jesus ever say it's more blessed to give than to receive? Paul tells us that Jesus himself said it, but it's not in the Gospels. It's one of those situations where Jesus said some things that weren't recorded in the Gospels, but we know that he said them because Paul tells us in Acts 20 uh, that they were said by Jesus. But look at what he says here in verse 17. Not that I seek the gift but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit, your account. Again, it is more blessed to give than to receive, Paul is saying. When we give generously and sacrificially, we are blessed. There is a spiritual profit that increases to our account. Uh, again, Paul's using language that would have been familiar to the Philippians. It was commercial language. This word fruit uh, would have, uh, in a commercial or business sense, would have been used of profit, of interest, of, of dividends. Uh, here, Paul seems to be playing on words. Not only is giving a sign of God's grace, a fruit of the Spirit in the lives of the Philippians, uh, but it's also uh, a, a reaping of what we have sown. Right. There is some benefit that comes when we sow bountifully, as we read in 2 Corinthians 9 this morning. The Philippians intended Paul to be the, the beneficiary of their gift, but the more they gave, Paul is saying, the more they gained. Right. When you give, you are blessed. Now, as Dean was alluding already this morning, those who believe in a prosperity gospel and a health and wealth gospel uh, would interpret this to mean that, that when you give your money away, you will become financially better off in this life. But Paul here, as he does throughout the gospels, throughout the, the New Testament, Paul is speaking of a heavenly account, a heavenly credit. Right? The Philippians here are storing up treasures in heaven, not on earth. They're investing in their heavenly retirement account, as it were, a firm foundation for the future, as he puts it in 1 Timothy 6. Yes, Proverbs eleven twenty five 25 says that the man who waters will himself be watered. But that often comes in the form of a good conscience, of an enriched fellowship with God and other believers, of an increased joy and, and love for the saints, of, of praise from God on the last day. And if God does prosper us in this life, then we know, as Dean pointed out, that it's 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, that, that if we do receive much in this life, it is because God wants us to have sufficiency, contentment in everything, 
so that we can have an abundance of every good work, we are enriched in everything for all liberality. The blessing financially that we might receive in this life is given so that we can be even more generous. So what is giving from the perspective of the giver? Well, it is a blessed sacrifice. It is a pain that gives great delight and pleasure. It's a willing forfeiting of the treasure the Lord has given to us in this life for the sake of treasures in heaven and even joy in this life. Do you see your giving in this manner? Do you see it not just from the angle of the, the one who receives the gift, from, but from you, the giver? It is more blessed to give than to receive. You are sharing and participating in the pain, the trouble, the need of the one to whom you give. Well, finally, here in this passage, Paul speaks of giving from the perspective of God. He has an utterly God-centered view of giving. And you have to ask yourself, do you? Do you have this God-centered view? And he, he shows us this in several ways here in the text. First, as we've already seen in relation to ourselves, giving is sacrifice. And in verse 18, Paul is speaking particularly in relation to God. It is a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. It's a fragrant offering, a fragrant aroma. He's using Old Testament language that was used back in Genesis chapter 8, uh, with regard to, to Noah's sacrifice, how it was a, a fragrant offering, a fragrant aroma to the Lord. And now he's saying that when you give, even to other people, you're ultimately giving to God. When you give, not grudgingly or under compulsion, but, but as a cheerful giver, you are bringing pleasure to the Lord. It's pleasing to him. Think about something in your life that a smell that you remember, and, and when you smell it again, it Im immediately brings back uh, memories of, of, of joy, memories of just warm, happy. You're like, this smell makes me happy. Right? Maybe it's you know, a piney forest. Maybe it's chocolate chip cookies baking in an oven. Whatever it might be, you say, oh, like, I love that smell because it makes me remember all these things. God is saying when we give, it is a, a pleasing aroma, a soothing, fragrant aroma in his nostrils. He is pleased with our sacrifices. We started the service by looking at Hebrews 13 to prepare our hearts for worship, that we give a sacrifice of praise. Well, the author of the Hebrews goes on in the very next verse to speak of our gifts, financial gifts to others, helping those in need. And he says, with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Now, it if you know your Old Testaments well, if you know the book of Malachi, you will remember that in chapter 1 of Malachi, we actually see the opposite of God being pleased with giving, the opposite of, of a soothing aroma. In Malachi chapter 1, uh, the Israelites are rebuked by God because their giving is a, a rank stench in his nostrils. Why? Because in Malachi chapter 1, uh, they were giving to the Lord Animals that were blind and lame and blemished. Animals that cost them nothing, that they were glad to get out of their house and to give it to someone else. And they were giving these maimed and blind and lame animals, these, the, the worst of the worst. They were giving it to the Lord. And, and God gets sarcastic with them in Malachi 1. He says, why not offer this to your governor Right? Would he be pleased with you? Would he receive you kindly if you gave this as a gift to your governor? Of course he wouldn't. They were glad to get rid of these blemished animals. But God had demanded 
unblemished animals, the best of the best, animals without defect. If it wasn't an animal like that, it wasn't a sacrifice. You weren't giving anything up. It wasn't costing you anything. It wasn't pleasing to him. And so we are to give generously, sacrificially. And when we do, Paul is saying, our giving brings delight to the Lord. It's a fragrant aroma, well-pleasing, acceptable to him. But Paul gives us another way that to see giving in relation to God. He says to us, when you give, when you give generously, when you give sacrificially, you need not fear that you will be abandoned, that you will be in utter and abject need. Why? Because when God sees our gift, he will never leave us destitute. Verse 19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul promises when we give sacrificially, he will take care of us. He will provide for us spiritually as well as materially. Yes, we often are afraid to give sacrificially, aren't we? Because we don't know what the future will hold. Sometimes we're afraid to give at all. We don't think we'll be able to make ends meet if we give this money away. But this promise here in Philippians 4.19 challenges our doubt and our unbelief. It encourages us to persevere in our giving, to trust that God will take care of us. and He will see that we have all that we need. And oftentimes, part of the way that the Lord provides for our needs is to make us see that we need a whole lot less than we formerly thought we did. He doesn't promise to, to give us everything we want, everything we wish for, but to give us our needs, to give us uh, what we need to live and to survive. And so God will provide. We can give with confidence. We can give with generosity because we know the Lord will meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Jesus in Luke 6 says something very similar. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Give generously, because God will give generously to you. He will give you all that you need. And then last, as we think about giving from the perspective of God, don't we see here in this text that our sacrificial giving redounds to his glory? You see it there in verse 20. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. His glorious riches in Christ Jesus that supply our needs and, and then even more so that we can be more generous, it will all come back to him in glory. Again, 2 Corinthians 9, we, we saw it. We are enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us, as we give, is producing thanksgiving to God. It's overflowing in thanksgiving to God. When you give, the recipients of the gift, they give glory to God. You give glory to God as you see your gift be used in the lives of others. God is thanked and praised for his work in the hearts of, of his people that have overflowed in, in this generosity, which then overflows in thanksgiving to the Lord. So do you see how God-centered Paul is as he views giving in this passage? He says, you're giving to the Lord you're giving to the Lord, even when you make provision for other people. When you give sacrificially, your giving delights the Lord. It pleases the Lord. It will be rewarded by the Lord. There will be a profit that redounds to your account, but ultimately all glory is given to God. And so you can give dependently upon him. 
You can give generously knowing that he will meet your needs. So ask yourself, is this how you give? Do you give sacrificially? Do you give thinking about the recipient, the giver, and God? How can we do this? How can we give in such a way, in such a manner? Well, ultimately, we must cause our hearts and our minds to meditate upon the self-giving love, the sacrificial giving of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's where giving comes from, isn't it? This language here that Paul uses in verse 18 of of a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, it's used elsewhere in the New Testament, only in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, when we read this, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. You see, we are able, as God's people, as the people of Jesus Christ, disciples of him, we are able to give sacrificially as priests of the most high God because we are in Christ, the great high priest. We give an imitation to Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us, who offered himself as a sacrifice, as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God first and foremost. We know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor so that we through his poverty might be made rich. And so we can give sacrificially in light of his incarnation. The one who internally exists in the form of God did not count that equality a thing to be grasped and clung to and held tightly to But he emptied himself by taking the form of a a slave and and being made in the likeness of men. It's in light of the incarnation that we give generously to those in need. In light of his priestly sacrifice, in light of his love for us, we are free to give our money away because we know that money is not our God. It is not our life. It is not our ultimate satisfaction. We don't need money to satisfy us because we have the love and the delight of the fountain of living waters who will provide for all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now it's tempting uh, when you preach a sermon like this to, to pass the offering plate after the sermon, right? And often churches, many churches do that. They reserve the offering for after the sermon. We're not passing offering plates at all right now, are we? Uh, but even if we were, and even if we'd already taken an offering, it probably wouldn't be a good idea to, to pass it again, manipulation, all those sorts of things. But there will be an offering at some point, right? We will start to pass the plates again, Lord willing. Even now, as Dean mentioned, you can give here, you can give online. The the question for you as you listen to this sermon is to say, will the word of God bear fruit in my life? There are needs, physical needs, financial needs around us. There are missionaries that we support. Will the word of God bear fruit? Will it cause you to go home and to look at your budget once more, to make a budget if you don't have one? Because if you don't have a budget, how do you know if you're giving sacrificially? Will the word of God cause you to to start viewing your giving not just out of meeting a need or out of a partnership with someone, but, but a partnership that is a participation and a sharing in that need and of being blessed as a result of, of giving to the Lord knowing that you feel his pleasure, his delight in your giving, and you're doing it for his glory, and you're doing it confident that he will provide for your needs. Time will tell, right? Will the people of God 
continue to manifest the, the great generosity that this congregation has manifested in these last months and years, how good God has been to this church. But here Paul would say, as he says in other places, keep giving, keep showing, right? Keep revealing the way the gospel is at work in your life. May God do so and more. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that the word that we have just seen from Philippians 4, that it would transform us, that your truth, your grace would be at work, making us more like Jesus, our Savior. Oh God, our Father, we desire to bring glory to your name. We desire, O oh Lord, to be a people who are content with what you have provided for us and, and see all that you've given to us as opportunity to be more generous, to take advantage of, of the blessings that you've lavished upon us and to use them, whether financial or, or tangible, to use them for the sake of your kingdom, to use them for the, the growth and the building of your church, to use them to help those in need, to share in their suffering. Oh Lord, our God, would you help us to be good stewards of what you've entrusted to us. Forgive us, Lord, for the ways that we have clung to so tightly to our riches. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we have been fearful of giving. Would you help us to be a sacrificially generous congregation? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.